0: Welcome back to the 150k podcast. I'm your host Joe Graham where we help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Today I have with me Jordo Medrick, founder of Drop Funnels. Now Jordo, I met you at the George Bryan event back in Montana 2021. Um, thank you for being on the show. It's nice to have you here. Tell people a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you even got into the whole funnel game.
1: Boy that's yeah it's a loaded question so I'll try to keep it <laughs> sort of brief. So. Uh, Yeah, I'm the founder of Drop Funnels, which, for those who might not be aware, is an all in one marketing platform. So you can build your websites, your blogs, sales funnels, beautiful courses, and even get, um, you know, handle all your sales pipelines. There's a lot that you can do uh, directly inside the platform to really help you to to scale both your lead generation, but also your sales and your customer happiness. Um, And because we use uh, WordPress as our tech foundation, you know, we eliminate all the tech. So there's no code. There's, n- It's perfect for people who don't like tech headaches. Um, it, it helps you get much faster pages, which helps a lot with conversion, helps you to rank your offers in Google. And we're the only platform, um, sales funnel platform that allows you to do that. Um, and generally just a really supportive, smaller, more intimate community of people helping entrepreneurs to, to start or scale. And so, you know, I came from, I actually started kind of an affiliate marketing. And, and I remember back I I was running a video production uh, company and making videos for some, you know, companies like Verizon and 3M and Nike and uh, vitamin water and some of these, you know, bigger brands. And it sounds a lot sexier than it actually is because they um, in the, in the same way that, that, you know, anytime you're starting, you're always kind of just putting in your dues, kind of paying your dues up front. And so that's what a lot of that was, was to start building a network and, and building out a, a team and, and those types of things. And so there was a particular company that found my work and they said, Hey, we just want to have you on board full time. And I, I remember that that day I was sitting in my low income housing apartment in Branson, Missouri. It was just fresh out of college. I was also kind of part-timing at a local TV station for like seven fifty an hour. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> I, hear you. I, I remember that. They, they came in and, and uh, I landed them as uh, a primary full-time client, my first one for about eight grand a month. And that just lit a, a fire in my in my brain and in my spirit that, that if I wanted to truly take myself to the, to the next level and frankly help others do the same, it would mean both myself making that shift from employee to entrepreneur, even with the risks, it also comes with the reward. So landed that first client. And then from there was able to get a a lot more clients that, you know, in, in creating kind of offers and building funnels and, you know, how do we dive into the psychology of helping people to buy your stuff more and you know, buy more of it and get more people to buy it. So uh, that ended up launching me into, you know, about seven years ago, sales funnels. They've been around since forever, a very, very long time. In fact, Target is a sales funnel, Walmart. Uh, car dealerships, clothing stores, everything is a sales funnel. Chipotle. I went there for lunch today. That's a sales funnel.
0: definitely. <laughs> um,
1: everything's a sales funnel, right? And anything that's uh, in, in commerce, right? But they really got popularized online. Um, but I found that there were so many limitations with those platforms that made it really clunky, really slow load speeds meant that my conversions were suffering. You know, and so many things that I realized that there's not really a, t- a tech platform that's powerful enough to get me the results that I feel like I want and deserve. So that's why I built drop funnels, And that brings us to today.
0: No, I love that. And you dropped a lot of information there. So like I said, a lot of people listening to this podcast are either sales professionals or starting out entrepreneurs trying to, you know, figure out what their offer is, who they can help, what they can do. So what would you say to someone who's new to it? Like I use DropFunnels as well. It's a great one. It's actually very simple and I am not a tech guy. So thank you for that, for sure. Um, what would you say for like on an offer? Where would they even start? A, like they just have the fuzzy mm-hmm. idea. What, what what would they need to even get going?
1: Yeah, great. So generally if someone, I guess I, I like to break things down into a mind map, right? So how do we break this down into more of decisions than tactics or strategies, right? How do we think about of- about building a business. And I think the first question most people should ask is, number one, do I have the grit, the stamina and the energy to weather the inevitable storms that will come through entrepreneurship and owning your own stuff, right? Because everything else is gonna rely on that. Am I willing to play that game and even sacrifice what's required to get there? I I believe that nothing is ever added to our life. We're always trading one thing for another. We're trading Mm. time, we're trading money, we're trading attention energy, focus, family time. We're trading those things for other things. So if you're saying, hey, I want more of this other thing, it means that comes with the sacrifice. So number one, are you willing and able to play that game and to fight those fight those battles? Because whoever survives that often wins, right? Yep. So it's yep. not even always about being the smartest or the best or not failing. It's about survival, um, especially at the beginning stages. And then you learn how to you know, crawl, then you can toddle, then you can walk, then you can run. Um, So if the answer is yes, then number two, the question is, how is it that you really want to serve people? Or another good question to ask is what problem do you want to solve? Or are you really good at solving? I think that all business owners are essentially in the business of information arbitrage. So you, you you only need to be slightly better than the person coming up behind you to provide that information to them and to solve a problem they haven't solved yet. And still, I I buy my way out of problems all the time. That's the only reason people buy. And when you start to calculate um, the motivations and understand the motivations of why people buy, the only reason anyone spends money on anything is to escape pain, period. Yep, 100%. Always, 100% of the time, they're escaping a pain, whether it's a status pain or a survival pain, they're they're buying their way out of that. It's the only reason any of us spend any money at all, except for taxes, And even then we're escaping the pain of going to jail. Okay. Yeah. That that Potentiality. So number one, do I have the grit? Number two, what's the primary problem that, that I want to solve? The bigger the problem you solve, the bigger income possibilities that you have. Mm -hmm. So I think the third quotient there, right? So we've gone through grit and, and willingness and ability. We've decided what's the big problem that I can solve. And it's often something related to your own life? What's a problem that you've had? What's some something that you've helped other people solve as well? Because if you've done it for yourself or for others, there's a market for it. There's definitely a market for it. I think from there, diving down, you obviously you can go into several layers, but I think the third and probably most important question, um, which, which, which very much affects how you price yourself, how you sell yourself, is this concept of how Prestigious, how big do I want to become in the marketplace? Right. So, because there's a lot of different ways that you can sell service. In my case, I happen to have a software and we have some, you know, coaching and mentorship options as well. So we're serving people at a high level and also completely passively, where they dive in and they do their own stuff. So the way that you solve a problem can often dictate and define how big your offer ends up going and growing. Mm -hmm. I I I put it this way: probably the worst thing you could ever do is launch a business that's entirely do-it-yourself. It's probably the hardest, the lowest margin business that you can create. is to create a product from scratch, creating your own product, giving it to people and having them figure out how it's going to work. Yeah. Even with the best onboarding, it's very hard. Right. Um, so the antithesis of that, there's three individual buckets, done for you, done with you, and, and do-it-yourself. A lot of people, they'll start an offer with do-it-yourself and say, hey, I'm going to give you this information. You go apply it. Unless you're like the creme de la creme, it's really hard to make those businesses grow. Yeah. So my suggestion is always when you're asking yourself this third question, how big or how prominent or what size of the problem do I want to solve? I always say start with the done for you offer. That's where you're going to be providing a service to people or doing something for them. You're going to get so good at doing that with multiple repeats that you're, you're much more quickly going to become a category King. Then you can move into like a done with you where you help them do it and you share some of the weight. You'll have some done for you components. And then there's also things that they have to pick up and then do it, do it yourself is often like the lowest tier, usually lower mid ticket products that people can go off and do on their own. And I always say, go in that order. If you're just right. starting out, number one, ask yourself, do I have the stamina, energy, willingness, ability to whatever two was. And then third was, do I want how big or prominent? Oh, number two is all about the size of the problem. What's the, what's the size of the problem I want to solve. And then the third is how do you solve it? How do you go about doing that? And I always suggest starting with some type of a done for you. And then you can move into done with you and then do it yourself. If that's what you ultimately want to do. But I'd say you win and other people win best when you start with done for you.
0: And I want to dig into that a little bit, just to get a little clarification, because there's some coaches and all that listen to this. Would coaching be a done for you or a done with you type of business?
1: Uh, yeah, coaching is 100% not done for you. It's, it's right. definitely at best done with you, um, but is very often do it yourself, right? So I, I like to put it this way, because coaching is a can be a great business, amazing margins. You can sell a high ticket offer. I mean, I, I see coaching programs selling between 2k to 200k, right. Mm-hmm. For a single uh, single purchase. So it can be a very profitable business. Um, but the, th- the thing about the coaching industry in general is that people want to follow someone who can do what they say they can do. Yep. Right. So when when you've gone through some type of a big transformation yourself, that's a lot of evidence to leverage to help other people to do the same. Um, but that the done for you component of that starts with yourself, mm-hmm. especially in the coaching space is you need if you're going to be a coach or even a consultant at that point where it's your expertise, you need to go through some personal trials and tribulations and it's not this is not the sexy answer but it's the truth yep. making that transformation yourself doing something that is out of the ordinary or what we would call extraordinary extraordinary that process gives you a path that other people can duplicate that's what the scientific method is all about we say i've got this problem or something i'm trying to solve for i create a hypothesis I go test that with a single variable, one variable, one constant. I try that until I can replicate that multiple times and then give that same process and system to something else. So that's the, that's the coaching model in, in, in a nutshell. And the bigger transformation that you've made then can transfer to other people for them to duplicate is, is what's going to bring people and magnetize people to you because they'll see, wow, you've done this thing. Um, or you've created this big empire or you've made this big personal life change. Um, If if you're familiar, a great example of this is Bethany Hamilton, who was on from that movie uh, soul surfer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she had her arm bitten off by a shark surfing and how she recovered from that and kept her spirits as high as she did. She ended up going into the coaching space. And so right now she's teaching other mother daughter relationship uh, dynamics to, to moms and daughters, right. And has events and coaching packages around that, but it's because of that transformation. Now you don't have to have your arm bitten off by a shark, but there does need to be something in there that almost all offers all products and almost all services start with some type of a done for you component, whether you're doing it directly for somebody else or it's happened for you, right? Some, someone has to have made a transformation with the, with a mechanism, with some process, or a product or a plan, um, you know, I've got this pen and you, you think about who's the first person to put ink inside a ballpoint pen so that people could write. Well, they started with a quill and ink, I think from octopus, like they would octopus ink and they would dip that in and then they'd be able to write, but someone realized that's really inefficient yeah. and takes forever. And I'm tired of dipping this thing. So they're like, well, oh, what else can I do? Oh, well, maybe I can fill the quill with octopus ink and then it would just continually come out and then came calligraphy pens and then all the way down to what we have now of ballpoint pens but someone has to make that initial transformation that's yeah. that's my opinion
0: no, no. And, and it makes sense because you need to have a niche or you need to have something that you have accomplished because you don't want to deal with a 20-year life coach because they haven't experienced life yet not being me I'm just that's not something you want to deal with you want someone that's Done either the process you've done or can help you with the skill set you're doing. So, how do you price offers? Because a lot of people maybe they don't understand the value of what it is. You know, like me, I have an iPhone. I'll pay a grand for an iPhone. My wife won't pay a dollar for it because she hates iPhone, but she'll pay a grand for the Samsung. So, how do you price offers and services that you're trying to bring to market?
1: Yeah. So, I love talking about pricing, even though most people hate it. Um, there, it's often people hate talking about pricing their own products and programs because it's unfamiliar and it's uncomfortable to talk about for some people, I'd say start getting really comfortable with it mm-hmm. because this is the direct tra- it's the translation of value to the market. So I know people who are selling a $10 thing that other people are selling for $10,000 identical products. I mean, another great example, Ryan Dice from uh, digital marketer. He had two identical products. One was called the napkin project and one was called the machine. These were email copy um, products, right? Mm-hmm. That was teaching people how to get more email conversions. He sold one for something like 200 bucks on like the napkin project, whatever. I'm, I'm butchering the price, but this is the point all the way up to like a $10,000 live event with support and all. So we're, when we're talking about selling one product that maybe has comparisons on the market, the, the thing that most people are actually fighting is not the pricing of it. It's, it's two things. One is having a good product and two is fighting obscurity. So Mm -hmm. if you have a good product and hopefully objectively we'll assume everyone here has, or is building a good product. If no one knows about it, no one's buying it. Right. Right. So that's how we self-defeat. We end up creating like underpricing ourselves or building a commodity offer. That's just comparable to what everyone else is doing because nobody knows about it yet. That's marketing. Right. Right. If I have a bad product and people know about it, I'm a con artist and I will probably not last long. If I have a bad offer and nobody knows about me, well, nothing's going to happen because no one's <laughs> going to buy a bad offer in the first place. Right. So those are the two things that people are are constantly at odds against, not necessarily pricing, but as a tactical step, what I like to generally think is is the value to that person 10 times higher than the investment. If so, the objections shoot out the window almost 100% of the time. That if someone understands that the value either instantaneously or over time is 10 times what it would cost me to just maybe figuring it out on my own is going to cost me this much or I would not see this amount of results or solving this specific problem, right? We're we're buying our way out of pain. If, If that 10 times quotient is there, It's an extremely high conversion rate, extremely high. Um, Here's a great example. If you were to go say, hey, I want to be able to go places. I want my physical body when I want to go to the store or across the country or whatever. I want to go do that. Okay, so you have two options. You can go figure out by yourself how to build an engine, all the car pieces and components and put the whole thing together or buy a kit and figure that out or you go to a store. That has that, yep. and that's a 10 to one relationship, which is why people buy cars instead of building cars. Because if, if it were up to me to go build a car, it would probably cost me $500,000 in time, education, parts, and failure, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Probably $500,000. So that would make sense for me to be like, okay, I could just spend 50,000 and solve the problem right now and leverage what other people have done. So it, I, I see a... Bigger problem far more often of people undercharging than overcharging, and almost 100% of people that I consult with, or I talk with, or just have a brief conversation, I ask them about their pricing model, and I can show them just a couple small tweaks to reframe how they're thinking about their offer, to so that they actually understand the value that is there is much higher than what they think. So if we can create that, that I believe and know that the output I create is 10 times greater than the investment. I mean that's it's a it's a laydown sale. It's like people are going to flock to you wanting your thing, and so to, to kind of cap off the thought. In almost all cases, I'd say it's ninety nine percent of the time, when someone is not getting sales, it's often because no one knows about it. So you're not talking to enough people to make the offers to even validate if the offer is good or bad, one way or the other. If you make an offer once and you don't sell it, it doesn't mean you're a failure. And if you Offer it once and someone does buy it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're successful, right? right. It's it's the average of the bean um, and 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 really what that means. So, I think it's about fighting obscurity, having a great product, and understanding that ten to one ratio is a winning combination.
0: And so, again, you like you you drop some nice nuggets there. So, with mindset, because I know a lot of people deal with this. People I talk to all the time, because I do sales coaching. That whole pricing their offer. How do you help them get past? I know that the 10 to one ratio there, but what other ways do you help them with getting past that to price it right? Because they're like, maybe they don't see the value of it compared to what it really is or is that, that the normal problem that they run into? Yeah,
1: give me maybe give me an example and we can do one live. If you have a thought of like, what's a, what's an example of an offer that you would say is struggling with pricing?
0: Uh, sure, like say a six-week coaching program for sales. I would probably throw it out at two grand a month um, I have, and I could give you all the list of the stuff that I've done. Like I have 15 years of sales experience. I win all the awards. I know what I'm doing, but if it really worth two grand or should I do more or do less? I think that would be some random obscure one that someone might throw out.
1: So is it two grand a month or two grand for the whole program?
0: Two grand for the whole program. Sorry.
1: For okay, six so, weeks. Two, so here's the thing what you need to to consider. And if it was anyone there, this is kind of how I would, really quickly kind of rip this apart to rebuild it, is number one, what is the output that if someone does, and there's this whole formula, I call it the perfect offer formula, um, that kind of breaks, breaks this, this down to make it much easier to understand. But you want to ask, if they were to do exactly what it is that you tell them to do, right, and they have the right inputs, what would be the output that they could expect conservatively if they did exactly what you said? So it's a sales training. How much more in sales would they make if they did exactly what you told them to? Uh, floor
0: twenty to thirty percent more, ceiling eighty to ninety percent. Okay,
1: so let's presume a twenty percent bump in in sales conversions, just twenty percent, right? Which mm-hmm. is nice. That's a that's a nice sales uh, bump. Over the span of a year, from a revenue perspective, what does that difference make?
0: A twenty percent. Like 20% over for the
1: revenue. Yeah, 20% over a year. What would that represent in terms of actual revenue, added revenue?
0: A lot depending on what they were selling.
1: Right. So let's say that they had, they were making, I don't know, 20 grand a month in sales. Let's say like that's a a pretty good average, right? Mm -hmm. If that's the market that you're going for is someone saying, hey, I'm making about 20, 20 grand a month. If I were to bump that, that'd bump it up to 24 grand a month. So that's an additional $50,000 in value over the year. 2K is underpriced. Right. It's really a $4,800 program. That's what I would price it at. 4,800, which helps people who are making at least $20,000 a month increase their conversions by 20% or more, right? So we see how we make this a very linear path. Now, if you're targeting people who are just starting in sales, that can be a tough, Right. that can be a... A tough thing to figure out because, like, they they might not have a good offer. They're brand new or they're green to sales. So that's not a pricing or offer issue. That's a targeting issue. Yeah, that's talking to the wrong people. Where if we go after people who who where that offer makes sense. If you're and that would probably be the hook on the ad or the landing page. If you're selling at least twenty thousand dollars per month, we can help you increase that by twenty to fifty percent in under six weeks, guaranteed. It's a minimum five K offer. Price that at about forty eight hundred, and you would see almost no sales resistance. Understanding that the the value of just one year of actually producing those results is ten times what they just invested to do so.
0: Yeah, well, you know that makes more sense because I think sometimes we try to like I know I do I go too broad with who I can help, like the guy starting out or the company that's been doing it for a long way. So, do you suggest that you narrow in your target market, like who you're looking a to sell percent.
1: to? You, you have to, yeah, you have to, because of exactly that. And, and, you know, when I see people going after too wide of a net, it's not actually bringing in more fish. It's, it's actually, it's almost like the holes of the, of the net are all different sizes. So big ones are slipping through, small ones are slipping through and people don't believe it that it's for them. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, let me ask you this. If I were to say, hey, I've got this brand new Lamborghini for sale. It's just 10 grand. What would you say?
0: Sign me up.
1: Well, I, my my guess, probably because you trust me, but you're probably, most people, if they didn't know me, they would say, is this a real Lamborghini? Like, yeah, that's probably going to doubt. I know right? you.
0: So like, okay, cool. Do you have one, Jordan? I trust that. You're right. Right,
1: isn't it? But it's yep. also another point that isn't interesting how trust impacts our decision making when it comes to, to to making purchases, right? Yes, 100%. That's, That's the beauty of a warm market, right? Is that there's that trust built in. But when we underprice our offer, if you had a a sales training offer, I mean, I know uh, there's several guys I know that are doing 30 to $50,000 offers doing the exact same thing, Mm -hmm. right? But if you're going after the newbies in the market who have not really substantiated themselves, the pain isn't great enough for them to invest heavily into doing that. But a company that is doing well, 20 to 50,000 a month, and they're trying to get to 100,000 a month, that's a way bigger problem to them, worth way more. And they have the financial means yeah, to yeah. make that make sense. Yeah, right. And, and
0: I think that's where a lot of people run into it. Because like I, like I said, I talked to a lot of coaches or different people and they're trying to help people. But I don't think that they've dialed in on their target audience and who to help. Because if you're also going to do one for a lower, like starting out sales people, it may be they would do 250 to 500 for a smaller training, but then you have to find out if that could actually make sense.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look at, look at me. I've got, I've got a, a marketing platform and I can tell you that my biggest drop-off is for people who are new entrepreneurs, like the people who do not stick around. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause there's no skin in the game. There's very little pain associated with, with solving the problem. So remember if people are buying their way out of pain and there's no pain, they're not going to buy their way out of it. Right. They're not going to, they're not going to buy anything. Right. Because there's, there's no, first of all, they're ineligible financially speaking, if that happens to be the case, or there's not enough of a problem for me to even be resourceful to solve that problem. So the people who do stick, they tend to be higher level entrepreneurs. They're established and they don't squabble over like the fine details. They just get in and be like, cool, sounds great. This beats that going with this run with it. And then they win. Right. So I think uh, for, for anyone who's struggling with sales and marketing, I would say that that's a a really big flag to throw up is how wide of a net. And if you narrow that down, that you can be the king of that fish or that Mm -hmm. fishbowl, right? You can be that instead of in this huge red ocean by saying you're going to serve specifically that market. And you can go either way. It could be like, Hey, here's how you start a career in high ticket sales, for example. And there are there's several other outfits doing something very similar. They'll charge two to three grand for it because that's all it's really worth as, as a yep. quotient to pain. The exact same company is also selling, hey, we're going to staff you with high ticket closers. It's 30 to 50K yep. right, yep. to those companies because the pain is commensurate to that. So, but those are two offers to two markets. And I'd say they would be far less successful if they were going for that whole big shebang and much more profitable when it's very targeted. Yeah,
0: go deep, get your niche, know your audience and help them. And then you can build from there. So once they get their actual offer down and the pricing and all that, how do they actually get it to market? Like when you're just starting out, like I know there's marketing and stuff, but like you mentioned WordPress and Google searches and stuff. I know drop helps with it, but how do they like get the attention they need?
1: Yeah. It's a very, it's another loaded question, but it's a good one. And it's a fair one. Um, Like, look, I have every incentive on the planet to help people to set up sites or funnels and get ranked and do all of that. That is the slowest path to collecting cash, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing anything in SEO is a waste of time. Trying to build out some huge social media audience is a waste of time. Are those things beneficial in sequential order? A billion percent. Yes, they are. Even though that's an irrational percentage. Yes. It makes sense in the right order, but it's kind of like if I were to say, Hey, I, my goal, my output I'm looking for is to make money, right? That's the goal that I want. I want to mm-hmm. launch this business. Um, even this just happened recently. It was, it's funny. We bring it up. This particular guy was building up this huge product line for educating kids or something along those lines. And he said, you know, I'm going to build up a huge YouTube audience, uh, build up a YouTube channel to send traffic to my funnel. I was like, well, that's great. It's great to build up a YouTube audience. You know, it's going to be three years. It's going to be two minimum, two years to three years of building hundreds of videos before you gain any amount of traction that can actually Mm -hmm. convert to consistent traffic. Is it worth doing? Yes, but not until you've got some market validation, right? So that's what I call professional procrastination is Spending so much time building deep in the product, staying in the weeds because it's comfortable or saying, I'm going to go build a huge audience and then sell to them later on. It's all procrastinating what needs to happen now, which uh, in my opinion, I think the, the fastest way is to go to an existing, uh, an existing audience, get a beta business to actually serve, right? And actually get clients in the door, period. No matter what the offer is, get the product into people's hands because it's going to mm-hmm. tell you everything to whether it actually solves their problem or not. Um, if it does, you have market validation. Then you can go sell it, and probably for a lot. If they come back and say, "Oh, this didn't really do much for me," um, or "Hey, here's what, what needs to be improved," then you've got that that validation back. But I'd say the the very best thing that you can do is let the market speak, not only about what they want, but whether or not the product works well. That's not the sexy answer, but it's the right, right answer. And If people do this more often, they're going to find that doing that hard work is going to be building out huge SEO campaigns or trying to build a massive YouTube channel because I'm just going directly to the audience and saying, what do you think of this? Does this help you? Does this work for you? Uh, And then from there, you're going to know very quickly everything you need to, to scale an offer.
0: Yeah. No. And I love that. Like I did that kind of with, the, I wrote this book and it sucked. I know it sucked, but at the time it was the first time I tried I wrote this ebook. I sent it to like some of my friends to test it out. Like, Hey, what do you think? And they're like, is this from the eighties? And then one guy stopped and goes, no dude, I like a lot of the stuff you have here, but I need more of A, B and C. And then I knew what I needed to do to actually fix it. And, and I valued him a lot more because of that real-time feedback. And the more you do that, the better you'll get at your offers and helping people. So no, I agree with you hundred percent. I think people just try to get busy. They want to be busy and say that they're doing business instead of actually doing business.
1: Yeah, it's one of the Kikich credo principles. It's principle number one is that, you know, people will do anything to stay in their comfort zone. They will fight to remain in their comfort zone. That's what we call the normalization of a standard. And people have created a normalcy and it's tough for them to break out of that. You know, if you were to take someone who is say in 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 a, in a lesser economic zone or in poverty or any of that, and you dump them into a millionaire mansion with all the resources, networks, the cars, the money, everything there, it would very quickly, even if they didn't have the desire to do so, to return back to normalcy mm-hmm. and either would have panic attacks and quit straight up or like lottery winners often do is they'll drain it back down to get back to normalcy. So even if something positive comes into our life, sometimes we unconsciously and subconsciously repel that thing because it's not normal to us. It's a foreign body. It's an alien. It's unnatural to us. So for us to get to that next level, we need to pre-normalize to a higher standard and take that rubber band as my friend, Seth Ellsworth always says, and raise the band, right? Because there's going to be bounces in the middle of that band there. But if I'm down here and it goes up, I want to make that my new floor. So I need to move the whole rubber band up That way the bottom, the valley of that new normalized standard is the highest that it would be previously. So I always say, if someone's say, maybe just starting out and, uh, you know, maybe they've been in business for a little bit and they're hovering around that five to 10K per month mark, you need to normalize the inputs of the business towards 30K per month, right? So that Mm -hmm. means instead of talking to five leads per month, we need to triple that to 15 leads per month. Yep. And if I perform less than that, I'm underperforming and I'm, I'm normalizing to a higher practice and standard. So if I've talked to five and I make 10 K, what would happen if you triple that? Well, likely at that scale, your conversions will carry with you. There's a diminishing return far down the line, but that's not within that gap. You normalize around 30 K and say, no, 30 K. Isn't my goal. If I'm under 30 K, I'm uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not happy. I'm unsatisfied. And then that's how you start to normalize to some of these higher standards.
0: No, I love that. That the, uh, It's just that whole progression that you've been talking about and getting into the room. So what else have we missed with this? We we have our offer now. We've talked about pricing. We've talked about the different types of uh, aspects we can offer. What else are we missing?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I, so we, we've talked about a lot of the f- kind of foreground work. Um, I think one of the best things that people can do is start to build a habit of making more offers in the marketplace. And I've, I've got this phrase that the amount of, of revenue you generate is directly related to the offers you make. So a sales funnel, we everyone kind of wants a sales funnel. A sales funnel is a way of automating the offer making process and the decision making process for a prospect. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're saying, okay, if I want to tell more people about an offer, a funnel can automate that. I always say, start that organically, go sell an offer 20, 30 times organically yourself. You're going to find out so much about it and improve the offer, the messaging, what works, what gets people excited, what doesn't, and optimize around that. Then take that exact messaging that was working, that worked well for you, carry that into an automated sales funnel, exact same stuff. Don't change anything about it. Exact same marketing hooks, sales pitch, price point, pictures, pictures. Auto, you're gonna automate what you already did manually. Mm -hmm. Then once you've got that, you've got everything you need inside of that to, to either run paid ads or continue putting more organic traffic into that funnel. And then that starts to automate your business, right? Um I just added a here's an example. I just added this in, I think yesterday, or something like that. Um, and I added a 297 upsell to our trial sequence in The software, right? So you can start a free trial. But what I know is that what a lot of people struggle with is getting themselves actually set up. So I added an option in there for 297, where you get to pick like one of our premium templates. And then my team actually goes into your account and builds your first funnel for you. So normally that would be a very expensive service and I'm dropping it down to almost nothing. And that's fine for me because I'd rather keep people in the platform and get to serve them long-term than for them to get overwhelmed and stop, right? So it's an adoption and onboarding um, process. And so right now that's converting at about 25%, which we can improve, um, but that's great. And and for that, it means that that person, uh, you know, or or the people in that bucket, I'll probably be able to go back and track how many of them stick. And probably the other 75% are going to churn sooner than that Mm -hmm. 25% because it's part of that. So, but that's just an automated sales process. I shot a video. You'd, you'd probably throw up if you saw the how ugly the page is. It's so ugly and, and not designed at all professionally. I did it myself. Little headline that says, hey, how would you like for my team to build your first funnel for you? Little video for me. I have a, a guy that I found. He works in the Philippines. He's amazing, who just edited the video for me. I wrote up some sales copy and I added a button to, to say yes or no. And they can choose either one and it takes them to the next step. That's a version of automating a sales process. And so now every single time that someone comes through, they would see that and would have that opportunity to do yay or nay. And so I think that's the biggest thing, whether you're doing it through a sales funnel or you're doing it manually and organically, is to make more offers to the marketplace. Go post that you're going to run a challenge. Go post that you're going to do a live free training. You're going to go do a webinar. You're going to have a virtual event. Go invite people to get into your world and do it more often. And you're going to find, wow, the amount of people that I invited to this thing is directly proportionate to to my revenue. What if I did more of that? Well, the revenue would also happen, right? (laughs) So we don't have to overcomplicate it, really. It's, It's very simple. It's just whether we are going to go back to messing with the colors of our buttons on our pages or, you know, messing around with, software that's not going to make a, di- a difference in our life or playing with, you know, whatever, whatever the procrastination is, that's keeping us from making offers in the market. That's what we need to overcome.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. that yeah, that's a lot more clarity because I think too many times people get caught up in what they should or shouldn't do. But really, until you tell someone, they're not going to know. Until you have your offer set and directed for the right person, they're not going to buy. And then it's just tweaking and listening to the market back and forth. No, I, I, I like that a lot. So I did see you went to Disney as well. I mean, shift gears here a little bit. What is your favorite? Are you like a big Star Wars fan, or
1: you know, I I don't. I'm really almost a fan of nothing. Like I like Elon Musk and I like Tesla, (laughs) but even then, I'm not (laughs) like a super fan of them. But gotcha. um, But yeah, it's funny. It's like I I almost never. Yeah, I never really subscribe to any particular franchise. But yeah, it's it's fun. I like the escape and, and we brought the whole family, like the, the entire big family, mm-hmm. about 17 people. We were all living in one house and went to Disney for several days and, and yep. whatnot. And, and that was a, a cool experience. And so actually right now I'm looking into, cause I live in, in uh, Western Wisconsin, right next to Minnesota. And it's cold here. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at potentially buying some property down there closer to Disney world and escape the winters and have a lot more, uh, Disneyland time or Disney world time on uh, on our hands.
0: You should, you should. I lived in Michigan for 34 years. We moved down here to Texas and I don't go back to Michigan in the winter at all. I don't go back for Christmas. No, I like the heat. I would take it all day long.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it does get, I think this last the coldest point, this last year was something like negative 36 or something with the windchill. So it was pretty gross.
0: Yeah, no, that's not good. So Jordan, where can people find
1: you? Yep, dropfunnels.com um, is uh, the, the primary site. Uh, we also have a great Facebook group if people want to come in and say hi. If there's, um, And also, maybe if someone stuck around through this whole thing and they want to directly ask me a question, I'll, just, I'll put up my, my personal email so anyone here can contact me. Uh, I'm Jordan at dropfunnels.com, J-O-R-D-A-N, at dropfunnels. And if I can encourage you or send you a resource or something or you want clarity on something... I'll just open that up and we'll see if anyone takes advantage of it.
0: Awesome. Thank you again for being on the show, my friend. Any other parting words you want to leave with the audience?
1: No, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here and excited and grateful for what you're doing for other people.
0: Thank you. And thank you all for listening to the 150K podcast where we help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Share this episode with a friend and until next time, be amazing.